the Champlain Towers collapse, and what we can learn from tragedy. When property management and HOAs make big mistakes, how liable are the property owners that they represent? Michael Kennedy from Birding and Wild joins us to answer these questions. I'm Lawrence Kletty, and this is Legal Talk Today. Welcome back, listeners. Thank you for tuning in. Today, we're talking about an important topic that impacts property owners across the country. But before we get into it, I need to thank our sponsor for their generous support, NOTA. NOTA is powered by MT Bank because you went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Take advantage of NOTA, a no-cost IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Visit trustnota.com forward slash legal to learn more. And remember, that's NOTA spelled N-O-T-A. Terms and conditions may apply. Okay, let's greet our guest, Michael Kennedy from the law firm of Birding and Wild. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for booking with us on short notice. This is uh, definitely an episode that I wanted to cover. I've been, you know, reading those uh, Champlain Towers down in Surfside story you know, for a while now. And uh, the storyline finally made it over to some of the legal publications. And of course, you're starting to see HOA, you're starting to hear about contracts and some lawsuits coming up. And I thought, you know, this is a really good opportunity to come in and talk about sort of the legal aftermath. Obviously, this is a huge tragedy. It was on the news for about a week or two. And a lot of people saw this. And of course, you know, right Right now, uh, we've gotten past the rescue. You know, now they've stopped that. They're going into demolition. But anyway, I thought this is a good chance to check in. And, uh, you know, like everybody out there with their HOA agreements and you get those annoying monthly bills, now is probably a good time to check in on your HOA. And so, Michael, before we get into our questions here, can you share your expertise in both residential and commercial real estate real quick? Yeah, I've been involved in residential and commercial real estate related litigation uh, particularly construction defect litigation for about 25 years. Our firm is the largest HOA law firm in California. And uh, this is obviously a huge topic. I first saw the news story and and is a you know horrible human tragedy. And then about 10 seconds later thought, oh man, this is in our industry. This is going to be a big topic for us. So in HOA world, it's been a huge topic since day one. And we've been talking a lot about it internally and sort of, you know, talking amongst ourselves in the industry, attorneys and property managers. And uh, it's a horrible tragedy and a humongous topic that applies to every HOA in the country, I think. Yeah, totally agreed. You know, I'm just a renter down here in Southern California, but even so, I've received notification that, you know, that our HOA here is going to start looking into uh, bumping up the insurance coverage in direct reaction to what happened at the Champlain Towers collapse. And so, well, look, Michael, for those out there that are just a little less familiar, can you just give us a quick run through of the facts and kind of catch us up to where we are today? Yeah. So this condominium tower in Surfside, Florida, which is sort of just north of Miami Beach on the same uh, spit of land or island or whatever, I think, uh, was built in 1981. They had an engineer's report in 2018 about some deterioration uh, of some of the concrete and steel structure. And then tragically, it uh, collapsed a few weeks ago and a number of people were killed. Uh, The collapse happened about one o'clock in the morning, I think. I've seen various news reports, but it looks like between 100 and 150 people were uh, in the building at the time, and they're still um, recovering remains as part of the cleanup process. And so it's a humongous, horrible tragedy. And uh, it looks like there were construction defects when it was originally built that were never addressed, and then deferred maintenance uh, that was never addressed, and a lot of board and homeowner politics, and a lot of very familiar themes, but a a much larger tragedy than than we normally see. 
Yeah, agreed. I mean, uh, some of the video, I th- I'm not sure if it was caught on a ring camera or what, but they did capture the moment that condo complex went down and it is alarming. I mean, just uh, just yeah. the scale of the disaster and how scary that must have been. And so um, I know that uh, they're in the middle of a bunch of legal processes right now, but the one of the ones I read about in some of the legal publications was this receivership and the board members of the condo association voluntarily went into it and they got accolades for that from the judge. And so just for our listeners out there that don't know what receivership means, they don't work in your area of the law, what does that mean to be put into receivership in the context of the condo association under these circumstances? For a condo, essentially, a receiver gets appointed who takes over the job of the board. So the statutory authority is the same as any other kind of receivership, where the receiver comes in and and runs whatever corporation it is. A homeowner association is a type of a corporation. And so they basically take over the job of the board in one way. You know, the board's responsibilities are to to uh, maintain the building, repair the building. Uh, they have a number of financial responsibilities. But interestingly, since the receivership statute is not part of the Davis Sterling Act that governs condominium associations in California and is you know, probably similar to other states where it's outside the condominium law statutory scheme. The receiver's powers are much broader than the board's. So, for example, you know, a board may not be able to issue a special assessment or raise dues uh, more than a certain percentage of the association's budget. Uh, the receiver is not constrained in that way. And so, you know, while it may be commendable that the Champlain Towers board turned everything over to the receiver now at this point, you know, a regular homeowner association that's insolvent could involuntarily be put into receivership and the receiver could then raise dues or issue special assessments far beyond what the board could have done. And so that's where kind of a cautionary tale is, I think, for associations that are getting close to insolvent. Yeah. And just to recap on that. So sometimes you can volunteer to be put into receivership and sometimes it's forced upon you, correct? Yeah, correct. Exactly. I mean, the the biggest issue, financial issue of facing associations, I think, is the need to maintain and repair these buildings. And, you know, the Champlain Towers building was 40 years old. We're seeing a lot of this all over the country, particularly here in California, uh, where we practice. And, you know, if you think about it, condominiums were popularized, you know, 50, 60 years ago. The lifespan of a building like that is, you know, 60, 70, 80 years. And these buildings are getting near the end of their lifespan. Uh, They're supposed to maintain reserves for repairs and replacement of common area components. And you have a reserve specialist prepare a reserve study to estimate what's that going to cost and when do we have to do it? You know, we have to redo the roof in five years and the siding in 10 years. But uh, the reserve study only looks out 30 years. And so in a 40-year-old building, we've got things coming into view over the horizon that the original reserve study never accounted for, like, you know, rebuilding the pool deck or rebuilding all the balconies or something. And so you kind of get sticker shock because now we have to raise the dues to save up for that project, or we have to have a special assessment to repair that. Uh, that I mean, that's what we saw in Florida. The The accounts I've seen look like the engineer's report in 2018 recommended a $9 million worth of repairs. They never undertook it. By last fall, the cost had gone up to $15 million. And, you know, that's a big special assessment for everybody to eat, but you got to do it. And so board members are reluctant to do that. You know, their neighbors are all going to be upset and they're going to yell at them when they see them, you know, walking their dog or going out to get the mail. 
but you got to do it. You know, the building doesn't heal itself. And the board member's responsibility is not just to the association right now this year. Their responsibility is to the association forever into the future over time. Yeah, that's a tough uh, situation to be in for sure because, you know, you've got your HOA board members and they they run for re-elections in a lot of these arrangements, but there's also property management and there's experts and consultants hired. And the, nobody wants to be that consultant that recommends a, a huge cost to the HOA. We've got to do this. And then, you know, in some instances, you're talking about people's retirement properties. That's where they're living. And so they're on fixed incomes. And so the idea of having that monthly cost or however it's charged, you know, go up, it, that's a tough one to face for retirement for sure. But uh, Mike, I want to turn towards the investigations and lawsuits. I know that there's uh, those have come up. I think a few uh, defendants have been named, but where are we in the process of the Champlain condo collapse lawsuits and investigations right now? It's very early in the process. A bunch of lawsuits have been filed, you know, wrongful death lawsuits of the people who uh, tragically lost their lives. We're going to see a lot of insurance coverage litigation, I think. Typically, uh, an HOA doesn't have nearly enough insurance for a claim like this. I mean, 150 wrongful death lawsuits. You know, a wrongful death lawsuit might be four, five, six, seven million dollars, depending on you know the specifics of the of the deceased person. And so that's going to be way beyond the insurance coverage of what the HOA has. And the other thing is, is if the board member should have forced a special assessment or undertaken repairs and didn't and violated Florida law or the governing documents of the association they may not be covered by the insurance. The insurance covers their negligence or things, you know, when they're trying to do the right thing and and innocently made a bad decision. But if they ignore their responsibilities, they might lose their coverage in some instances. And so there's going to be a whole bunch of litigation going every which way. Yeah, and I want to I want to bring up uh, this sort of dual position of both plaintiff and defendant. That was one of the first things that jumped out at me when I started hearing about some of these lawsuits. Is that you've got condo owners right there? They elect their HOA, and so they've had a total loss. I mean, all of these condos that they've been taken down, they're going to scrape it. They're going to start from scratch. So they've lost their investment here, and so they're going to be looking to be made whole. But at the same time, just like you mentioned, there's going to be wrongful death suits. There's going to be you know a bunch of expenses coming the other way. So potentially they're on the hook there. So can you? describe that in greater detail, how someone that owns a condo here is both plaintiff and defendant in certain ways? Yeah. I mean, a regular, you know, homeowner member of the association may not directly be a defendant. I think the association and maybe the board members will be defendants, but you're still kind of on the hook if you're a homeowner in that sense, because if somebody's seeking a, you know, multi-million dollar judgment against the association, um, even though you're not personally named in that lawsuit, you are the association, right? So, right. you know, if there's, you know, hundreds of million dollars worth of claims against the association and not enough insurance, then the plaintiff may potentially be able to collect against the membership under Florida law. And so that's, you know, pretty tricky. Um, and then, yeah, all those, all those homeowners either, you know, tragically lost loved ones, that's a wrongful death case, or they lost their unit. Um, and that's a breach of fiduciary duty claim against the the board and the association, it's uh, it's going to be messy. And then you've got, you know, the consultants uh, that wrote the 2018 report. You've got the original architects and contractors. Um, you got potentially the town of Surfside. It's going to be a litigation machine. 
Yeah, you know, I read that there's about $48 million in insurance coverage, at least for the condo association. But, you know, what you were describing there, we're talking uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in a potential lawsuit. And in that $48 million is not going to cover all that. Now, I, I recognize that other defendants are going to have insurance of their own. And I recognize there's probably some insurance policies with each one of these condo owners. But, Michael, back to this. I mean, if the insurance policies don't cover it, I mean, is there potential for each one of these condo owners to have to pick up a piece of this personally? You know, Potentially. I don't know Florida law that well. I practice in California and Hawaii, but generally speaking, it's probably possible to reach through the corporation, you know, the association's a corporation, and get to the members of the association. You know, if the if the association was still operational, if the building was standing, then, you know, the, the judgment uh, creditor could potentially force a big special assessment, you know, force a receiver, like we talked about at the beginning, and force a big special assessment and have all the homeowners chip in to settle the uh, pending judgment. If the association is not really operational anymore in the sense that the building is gone, that's potentially much different, but it's, I wouldn't say they're definitely off the hook. That's for sure. Yeah. And based on the loss of life here, I mean, would you expect that some prosecutor out there is going to bring some, you know, criminal charges of some sort? Very possible. If a court were to rule that those board members, you know, didn't do what they were required to do either under Florida law or under the association's governing documents, and they're not protected by the business judgment rule, that could potentially be manslaughter liability under uh, under criminal law. Now, I already know the answer to this. I, I'm sure you would recommend that anybody sitting on the board ha- would have been lawyered up a long time ago. But what about some of these condo owners? You know, right now, obviously, they're reeling from this experience. They're probably being displaced right now. Some of them probably going to, uh, you know, friends' funerals. But, uh, you know, within that kind of fog of all this tragedy, they need to be looking out for their own rights. Would you recommend that they lawyer up as well? I think if they're asserting an affirmative claim, um, obviously, that takes a lawyer. As far as defending themselves against liability the association may have at the end of the day, I don't know that, um, you know, I wish I knew the specifics of Florida law better to really be able to give a, a, a good answer on this. But it's pretty attenuated, and I will let the process play out a little bit and see, you know, how much insurance there is, what assets there are, how much the uh, eventual uh, judgment really is. Um, I don't know that I'd go out and and pay a lawyer right now to defend myself if I were just a member of the association. But if I were uh, going to want to assert a, a, an affirmative claim, I would, you know, team up, join together and have groups of homeowners uh, join together and hire, you know, one attorney or one law firm. All right. Last question for you, Michael. You know, obviously this is a, uh, you know, a big tragedy and there's a lot of legal rights um, that are going to be battled out in courts. But, you know, given all the layers of this, how long do you think all these legal battles will go on for? Oh, a long time you know, three, four, five, six years. Um, This will be going through the Florida courts for a long time. And uh, the other thing that's going to go on for a long time is I think we're going to see new legislation and new inspection requirements of uh, high-rise buildings, concrete buildings. Um, We saw that following a tragedy in California a couple years ago. We saw that following a tragedy in Hawaii a few years ago, where both states instituted new inspection requirements after, you know, tragic losses of life due to building failures, not on this scale, but similar kind of thing. So that's going to be, I think, the effect that's going to reverberate through the world of HOAs all over the country. Yeah. And I think to your point right there, I'd probably recommend that, uh, you know, anybody that's uh, sitting on an HOA board or, or any property manager out there, you know, to that degree, you might want to check in with uh, counsel about that, about any upcoming updates. Uh, is, that, is that a fair thing to say, Michael? 
Yeah, hundred percent. And also get an assessment of the condition of the building. You know, younger, like I said, the, the, this Champlain Towers had construction defects from when it was built in 1981. And you've got to assess the condition of the building. The board and the association have to repair the building. And, you know, when the building is young, there are two sources of funding, the membership or the builder that created the problems. After 10 years in California, at least in most states, then the only option to fund repairs is the membership. And the Champlain Towers was talking about that and talking about special assessments to fund those repairs. And we had, you know, board resignations and angry mobs at board meetings. And that's all the more reason to to, uh, assess the condition of the building while there's still time to get the builder to come do repairs or pay for repairs. I think that's, that's probably the biggest takeaway for community managers and for boards is, you know, know what's going on with your building. It's just like, you know, being a person and going to the doctor and get your checkup so you know what's going on with yourself. Well, Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Happy to be on and uh, thanks for including me. And thank you listeners for tuning in. We know you have other shows out there, so we appreciate the time you invest with us. We hope you found this episode worthwhile. And one more thank you to our sponsor, Noda. You can find the trustnoda.com forward slash legal and that's Noda spelled N-O-T-A. And last but never least, thank you to our team, producer Molly McDonough and our LT United crew for all their hard work. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you.